Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verses 11 through 18. Hear now the word of the Lord. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand, who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because a hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock, one shepherd. For this reason the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. This is the word of God for us, the people of God, and together we say, thanks be to God. So, as we've been talking about through the month of September, Christianity began as a movement, as a social movement. It never started as a religion. It was a sect of Judaism that kind of branched out under this new movement following that was started by Jesus. And this following that Jesus had became this movement that spread throughout the world in a very radical way through human interactions. And this movement, in uh, more ways than one, called out the institutions uh, that were already in existence, things like the Roman Empire or Judaism, from which Christianity arose, would call out these institutions and the way that their comfort and security left them stagnant, and the way that their stagnation led to apathy. And through this movement, uh, Jesus and, his, uh, and the first disciples understood something that, uh, that it, you know, took Isaac Newton all the way up until the, the 17th century to figure out, and, and that was just the way that movement functions. And so last week we talked a little bit about Isaac Newton and his uh, three laws of motion, everything from an object at rest stays at rest and an object in motion stays in motion until acted on by another force. In other words, the law of inertia that reminds us that we do not change very easily. And then there's the law of force that reminds us force equals mass times acceleration. And if you're not a physics person and just want to translate that into church terms, that this uh, force of the movement is, uh, is a response to the people of the movement and their intention uh, in the movement. And then we looked at uh, the third law, which, uh, which reminds us that force is a concept of interaction that the force of a movement is spurred on by interactions, by people interacting with one another, and the truth of uh, the nature of movements that with every action comes an equal and opposite reaction. As with the first uh, church, Christianity first starting out, there were a lot of people who were not too thrilled about it, and thus the persecution of the church began. But we've been looking at Christianity as a movement, a movement about bringing the kingdom of God here on earth now, 
through the teachings of its leader, Jesus. And as all movements do, it had the intention of challenging and changing the status quo, the way that it's always been done, the way that people expect things to be done. This Jesus movement that we call Christianity was meant to turn the world upside down on its head. Jesus was often using expressions like, you have heard it said, it's this, but I tell you it's really this. In other words, we need to figure out a new way of living our lives. And so as we consider Christianity as a movement, I want to take this in a more broad spectrum. Have you ever considered how an effective movement, a social movement, begins? how it takes shape. It's interesting how to start a movement. So I'm going to ask you to do something very odd today. You know, I like the participation. If you are able and feel so inclined, I want you to stand up. Look at that. That worked. People are like, OK, sure, whatever. Whatever you say, Pastor. All right. Now I want you to put your right hand in and take your right hand out. Put your right hand in and shake it all about and do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself about. That's what it's all about. And put your left hand in and put your left hand out and put your left hand in and you shake it all about. You do the hokey pokey and you turn yourself about. That's what it's all about. All right, thank you. You can sit down. Yeah, that's, we won't go through the full song. <laughs> Funny enough, though, you all have just been involved in a movement. Quite literally, you were moving. But that's a, that's a social movement right there, what we just did. The hokey pokey is a social movement. It's something that some weird person, however many years ago, said, this will be interesting. And they started this little song and dance, and it caught on, and people were like, hmm, we're going to keep doing that. And now. All I had to say was, you put your right hand in and you all started laughing because you knew what was going on. That is a movement. And just beyond the hokey pokey, what we did right here was a movement. There was some weird person standing up at the front who said, hey, let's do this. And I gave you a little bit of instruction and you all started following along you know, with reckless abandon, I might add. And you were all just like, yeah, let's do the hokey pokey. That is a movement. Interestingly enough, there is a TED Talk. If you've never heard of TED, TED stands for Technology, Entertainment, and Design, and it's this, uh, this conglomerate that's, uh, that emphasizes taking ideas and just sharing them. Ideas, that's it. That's what they do. And they release a different talk, I think, every single weekday, uh, all the time. And one of these, they're really brief, typically only about 10 to 15 minutes, but one of these particular TED Talks only lasts for about three and a half minutes, and the entire, uh, the, the title of the entire talk is How to Start a Movement. And you would think that this would be something that would take more than three and a half minutes to unpack, but, uh, but our uh, speaker in the TED Talk, he's able to do this, his name is Derek Shivers, he's able to do this uh, in three and a half minutes. And Derek Shivers, he's a uh, entrepreneur in, in music and stuff like this, and he observed this video that was recorded at a musical concert. 
This video of, uh, you don't see anything happening in the concert, it's of a single person out in this open field, and you can see other people sitting around on the ground watching the concert, but there's this one person standing out in the field, and he is really enjoying the music. And he's doing this number, and he's doing this number, and he's just kicking and flailing about, and he's doing all these weird dances and just like throwing himself into it. And uh, Derek Shiver says, this is the start of a movement. And as there's somebody with their phone recording this whole thing happening, uh, because it's unusual. Everybody else is sitting on the ground just enjoying the concert, and there's this one person who's just getting way too into it. And a couple of seconds after, another person runs up next to the first person and starts doing the same thing, and they're just dancing crazy, and they're just going all about. And Derek Shiver says, this is the flourishing of a movement. This person comes in and just starts, I mean, jumping right in. And the first person welcomes the other person who joins, and they're doing it together, and suddenly it's not about the one person, but it's about the them. And then a third person comes up, and the first two are so excited that this, that this third person has come up, and all of a sudden, we have a true movement going on. The first, uh, the first follower ended up being a critical point of this movement. Because before the first follower showed up, you just had one lone nut who was just, and it was weird, weird enough that somebody said, I'm gonna video this because this is pretty strange and that's what people do. But the first person who runs up there transforms a lone nut into a leader. And then the next person that runs up makes a crowd. Three is a crowd, and a crowd is news. People are interested when there's a crowd showing up. And so uh, we start seeing this crowd forming, because after a third person shows up, then there's four and five and more and more, and new followers start emulating the first followers, not just the leader. The other followers are following each other in this process of just dancing like crazy. That's what they're doing, they're just being silly. And it's ridiculous, but this is a movement. And before long, we're only a minute and a half into this video, and before long, all of these other people are rushing over to this one part of the field where this one lone nut was just dancing like a silly person. And they're all like, yes, this is amazing, and people are just flooding over there, like thrilled to be a part of this movement trying to get into this movement before it becomes old news. And, uh, and the more people that join in, we start seeing that it's less risky to join in. As more people join in, it really becomes those who are still sitting down at the concert who are the weirdos. And everybody else is just having a grand old time. This is what makes a movement. But there are a couple of key lessons from, from this uh, little video that Derek Shivers uh, points out. And that is that what we need to understand is that we can't have everyone as a leader. That's something that we're kind of taught at an early age, to be a leader, to stand out. But really, in a movement, we can't have everyone as a leader because then you just have a bunch of lone nuts doing their own thing. And, you know, that is what it is. But it's not a movement. It's not cohesive. And so, what we gather from that is that if you really care about starting a movement, 
then you have to have the courage to follow and to show others how to follow. Because the leader, the per first person who is dancing like crazy, yes, he will get all of the credit for starting this crazy montage that was happening out in the middle of this field. But he wasn't really the one who created the movement. It was the first person to follow who created a movement. That one lone leader was just a lone nut being silly out in the middle of the field, and he was doing his own thing, and that was awesome. But it was the first followers who said, you know what? This is worth something, and I want to be a part of it. That's what made a movement. So if you really care about starting a movement or being a part of a movement, then be a follower. Have the courage to follow and to show others how to follow because that's the most important part of any movement. Without followers, a movement is just a nut with some silly ideas. Look at Christianity, for example. At the outset of this Christian movement, you have this guy named Jesus, and he's sharing this message that sounds crazy to people. I mean, things like the kingdom of God is near. That's a crazy thing to say. I mean, have you ever seen, you know, the people with the signs, the end is near, and you're like, okay, I'm going to walk at least 20 feet away from that person. Yeah, that's kind of like what's going on here, right? That's a crazy message to say. And the message goes further into this whole, this whole movement of compassion and love. And this is in a civilization that, that that's a concept, but it's not the way that we get ahead, Right? We, even today, we, we have this notion that, that compassion and love don't get you ahead. Uh, at least we think that way. And there's this, it's just this crazy guy with this crazy message, and he's a lone nut. And that was the start of the Christian movement. And if we were to break down the rest of uh, Christianity and its core principles, it all just looks kind of crazy. I mean, think about our affirmation of faith for just a moment here, okay? This is what we all said this morning that we believe. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Now, we understand this because it's something that we've grown up with or something that we've become accustomed to. But think about that message, that there is an entity out there that was able to bring everything into existence. That's crazy. And then in Jesus Christ, his only son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit. I don't know about you, but there aren't many spirits going around conceiving babies during this era. Like, that's crazy. Born of the Virgin Mary. I don't know about you, but I haven't heard of many virgins giving birth lately. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. Uh, for his beliefs, by, by the way, for his movement that he was starting. And the third day he rose from the dead. We don't have a whole lot of people three days in the grave who come walking out of that grave. That's crazy. He ascended into heaven. What? And sitteth at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. You mean that person, entity thing that created everything? What? From thence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead? Judge what? That's crazy. I believe in the Holy Spirit. What does that even mean? The Holy Catholic Church. What? The communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. These are crazy principles if you just take them as they are. Now, we've kind of grown a little more accustomed to these principles uh, because they have been accepted by the followers. But without the followers, these core principles, these things that we claim we believe would be 
crazy because they don't fit nice and neatly into our world. There isn't like a comfort zone for these kind of core beliefs in our society. But because of a few followers, many Christian traditions are incorporated into modern society today. Think about Christmas. That's a very unusual holiday, if you think about it. And, and yes, we have like this whole balance between the whole Christmas and the gifts part and Christmas and the birth of Jesus part. But both sides of that are just like very unusual things that, that have been adopted as a natural part of our society. And we even take breaks for that because of the Christian tradition and because of the followers of Christianity who said, yeah, this is what we do. And so this right here is exactly why Jesus spent the majority of his ministry investing in his disciples. Right? The first, the first couple of chapters of every single gospel involves the calling of the disciples in which Jesus, after his baptism and his time in the wilderness, goes out and says, you, come with me. And they drop whatever they're doing and they leave their lives behind. It's already kind of crazy. But Jesus is like, follow me. We've got some stuff to do. And they do. And they follow him around for three-ish years. Just listening to what he's teaching. And, and Jesus is just investing in these core couple of people. And passing along these thoughts, these teachings, these ideas, this craziness. And they're like, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, this is what it's all about. And the next thing you know, these disciples, these core people, are now the makings of the church. And they start teaching other people, and there are new followers that are coming in, and these disciples are teaching them and investing in their disciples, investing in these other followers. And that's how Christianity spread, through followers, one leader. And so... As the disciples are going on in the, in the makings of the church, they continue this cycle of investing uh, in new followers to carry out the ministry and mission that Jesus had first started, not only across the world, but this whole concept of investing in followers then extends throughout time. For over 2,000 years now, people have been doing this whole Jesus movement thing. And sure, it's a little more institutionalized now, and we have like all of these, I mean, if you think about it, weird traditions. Like, what am I wearing? This is weird, but it's something that we've just embraced because, well, that followers were like, yeah, that's something that we do. That's something that's part of this whole movement. Granted, part of the institutionalization of the movement, but still, that's like what we do. This whole concept, however, begins to break down when we have too many people trying to do their own things instead of following. And I don't just mean people doing their own things within the church, like people trying to start heretical groups and stuff like that, or whatever that might look like, but, but really whenever people start doing their own things beyond the church. That is to say that the movement of the church Break da breaks down whenever we prioritize our comfort and our convenience and our entertainment over the mission of Christ. Like today, I wonder how many people didn't end up at church this morning because they were at one of the many college football games last night. I don't know. I mean, you know, just, just a thought. You know, there was, there was a priority set there. 
Or I wonder how many people don't end up participating in the different mission projects that various churches do all across our community because, well, they've got more convenient or comfortable or entertaining things to put to invest themselves in, right? Like this is the breakdown of the church whenever we have too many people trying to do their own thing and not enough followers. This right here is a, precisely why Christ calls us to be pack animals. Bear with me for a second. Uh, because by pack animals, I don't mean like animals that carry packs, not like donkeys um, necessarily. But I mean animals that run in packs or herds or flocks or other various forms of groups. These kind of pack animals. Animals that run together. Now, of course, Jesus does not specifically say, you are pack animals. But consider this parable that we have before us in John. Jesus is talking about being the good shepherd. And we come to understand, without Jesus having to say anything about it, that we are somehow the sheep. And that the sheep know the shepherd, and the shepherd knows the sheep, and the shepherd cares for the sheep, and the shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. We understand that we are the sheep in this parable. And this is, this is not a, uh, an uncommon notion either. Uh, the, the concept of people being like sheep are used throughout Scripture. I mean, like uh, something like 80 some odd times. Uh, think about the parable of the lost sheep. We have the 99 over here and the one over here that, that the shepherd goes to find. And we understand that we are the sheep, whether we're the lost sheep or the, with the other 99, we understand we are the sheep. Or whenever uh, Jesus is reinstating Peter into ministry, Jesus says to Peter three times, do you love me? And Peter says three times, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And Jesus says to Peter three times, then tend to my sheep. And now we understand Jesus didn't have sheep. Jesus wasn't actually out there like in a field taking sheep along with him. It would have been very complicated in his ministry. And so we kind of get the notion that Jesus isn't asking Peter to go watch over this flock that Jesus has been keeping in this field over here, that it's the people, Right? And so we start to get this understanding that we are pack animals. That's like the nature of humanity. Consider for a moment where you live. I imagine, at least, uh, that you are living somewhere within at least 15 minutes of another human being. And that human being is living at least within 15 minutes of another human being. And many of us are within, you know, uh, 10 seconds of another human being. And, uh, and we start to see, like, these cities form. And we, as pack animals, just group together. And we stay close to one another. For convenience purposes, certainly. For survival purposes, certainly. Uh, but also for social purposes, we are social creatures. We are pack animals. We understand the benefit of the pack. Pack animals understand the benefit of the pack, that it's not healthy or helpful to be alone. A lost sheep, a lone lost sheep, that's a recipe for disaster for that sheep. That's why sheep stick together as pack animals. They understand the benefit of the pack. Also, pack animals don't do the hokey pokey. And here's what I mean by that. In the hokey pokey, we have put your right hand in, and then you take your right hand out. Pack animals don't do the whole taking out part. 
They don't do the whole outside thing. They're all in. Pack animals are all the time all in because they understand the benefit of the pack, because they understand supporting the pack and, 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 and how they contribute to the pack. And so this is something that, that the church, however, has kind of lost. We take on this, this identity of pack animals, but we don't act like them. We'll be in with our left hand over here, but our right hand's going to be doing something different. We'll put our right foot in, but the rest of us, we're going to be over here. We'll put just enough in so it looks like we're a part of it, but by and large, we're going to be over here doing our own thing. And if you don't have followers who are all in, if you have followers who are doing a little bit over here, you don't have a movement. And those followers definitely aren't really a part of the movement, only just a little bit in. In the uh, video that I talked about uh, earlier with all the people dancing crazy, all the people are like doing all their thing, and there are still a couple of people sitting on the ground. They're sitting really close to the rest of the people who are dancing like crazy, but it's very obvious that they're not part of the movement. They're sitting down. They may be close in proximity, but they're not part of the movement. They're not up doing the motions. They're not up following the leader. They aren't up following the rest of the followers. They're doing their own thing. They may be proximally in, but by and large, they are on the outside of it. And pack animals, they don't do the hokey pokey because they are all in. And that's something that the church is missing, this understanding that pack animals have, which is knowing how to follow. And so my challenge for us this week is to follow the shepherd. That's what we have in our passage in uh, John 10 this week. And, and this passage that we have actually starts in verse 1, and the whole shepherd metaphor extends larger than just our passage here. But in this passage, uh, in John 10, starting in verse 11 through 18, this notion of the good shepherd stands out to us. And there's this understanding for us that we as the sheep are meant to follow the shepherd. And so my challenge for us is to do that, to follow the shepherd. And I'm encouraging us to follow the shepherd because it's not just a blind following the shepherd because that's like all there is. It's a following the shepherd because of who the shepherd is. And so I'm challenging us to follow the shepherd because the shepherd is good. We have, this is the good shepherd. And now the, the, the Greek word there that we translate as good isn't just like good as in kind or good as in better than another shepherd. It's good as in the model, the example. Good as in the shepherd who is like the shepherd. The shepherd. That, that kind of good. And so we follow the shepherd because the shepherd is good, but also because this is the shepherd. This is the shepherd who knows how it's done. This is the shepherd who is a model for all the other shepherds. Like, this is the shepherd. My challenge is also to follow the shepherd because the shepherd lays down his life for us. That's what Jesus says. I am the good shepherd, and I lay down my life for my sheep. That's love right there. Because the good shepherd loves us. And I challenge us to follow the shepherd because the shepherd is for those who are both in and outside the flock. Jesus even says, I have, this is in verse 16, I have other sheep. 
that do not belong to this fold, I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. One. This shepherd that we are called to follow is for everyone. No one is excluded from what this shepherd is doing. But also here, there will be one flock and one shepherd. We don't have a billion shepherds out there trying to, to lead just a handful of sheep. It's one shepherd who is guiding all of these followers. And my challenge for us is to follow this shepherd because we as pack animals are better off with a shepherd. We like a little guidance. We like a little structure. We as human beings, that's just part of our nature to have a little bit of an understanding of our direction. Can't tell you how many people I talk to are always in kind of a confused state about vocational discernment and what they're supposed to do with their lives. That's like constantly. The shepherd gives that direction. And then my challenge for us is to follow the shepherd because the shepherd is leading this movement. And it's a movement worth being a part of. Where the shepherd goes, we go. Where the shepherd stays, we stay. How the shepherd moves, we move. The shepherd is, following, is, is leading this movement, and we, as the followers, need to be a part of it. And so, my call, my challenge for us this week is to follow the shepherd, because we are called to be pack animals who follow for the sake of this Jesus movement that's worth it. But we're called to be followers, not just leaders. And so let us explore what that looks like this week, to follow the Good Shepherd. And let us pray.